Good morning, listeners from around the world. This is on the menu radio. As always on your Sunday morning, we hope you'll enjoy today's program. And who are we starting out with, sweetheart? And then Anne says, Peter, it's your turn to do it today. So we're starting off with Ollie Davis back back in good old London town where somehow or other fine chef that he was, he always managed to hide from us and we never were able to go to his restaurant. But now he has a new restaurant and not only that, a new cookbook called Essentials. So here's Ollie. We're, we're going to be talking to Ollie Davis from London about his new cookbook, Essential. And um, I think the reason that I, I love you, Ollie, at your cookbook so much is that you're straightforward, your recipes are balanced, and you sneak tips in without trying to, like, preach at us. I, I just think it's a wonderful book. So, oh, really kind of you. Thank you. Oh, this is terrific. You know how many cookbooks we get? A lot. But this one is really special. Oh, um, it's kind of you think so I don't actually look at many cookbooks myself, so I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing going into, going into this. But um, I was going to say, no, it's, it's really happy to hear those, those points. I don't want to preach, but I effectively want to hold people's hands as they do the recipes and hopefully build their confidence. Yeah. Well, but you say that simple food, straightforward food, is the best. And yeah. you do have limited ingredients, but they're not like this off-the-shelf stuff. You, you, you want the few but absolute quality ingredients, right? Yeah, so you're only as good as the, the ingredients that you use. So I think keep it simple and do it well would be my sort of fundamental rule for, for home cooking. Well, you're, you're sort of right on with that trend as well as a lot of other trends is that, um, I mean, this is definitely written for the home cook, and that's yep. what a lot of people are now becoming, home cooks. You, yep. you balance all your, your uh, recipes around uh, things that are now accepted much more than prior, such as grains and eggs. Mm-hmm. We've, been, we've encountered egg chapters in many cookbooks of late, some, somebody's finally realizing how splendid like, eggs are. <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah. We just we just got a case and a half of, of duck eggs. Oh yes, oh, wow. duck eggs grown Lovely. in Pennsylvania. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I mean, a good egg is a, is a real treat when you crack it open. That bright yellow yolk, the tight oh, white around it. Um, yeah, I was, I was speaking to someone about an omelette the other day. I mean, there's a reason why there are so many classic uh, egg dishes. Um, so, yeah, no, they, they merit a, a chapter in its own right. And when, with, um, yeah, with the, the recipe for scrambled eggs, again, that isn't just meant to be didactic. It's, it's intended to uh, explain why. I personally like them a certain way or cook them a certain way. So a lot of people, they'll make things out of habit or maybe because their their parents taught them that way, but without ever questioning things. Or uh, So hopefully little tips can 
can help and change people's uh, end result and enjoyment of those dishes. Yeah, I mean, some people would look at this and say, hello, so what is it about scrambled eggs on toast? It's so ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) But give us some of the tips that you, you... people don't actually pay attention to when they're just cooking from habit. What are some of these yeah. tips that you suggest? Yeah, no, so, I mean, a lot of it, um, so, for example, with the, um, you know, with the with the eggs, I personally like to use a spatula rather than a whisk. It breaks yes. up the eggs a little bit less. So I love that. That was so more, I never even thought of yeah, it. Yeah, like a more pasta-like quality because you get ribbons rather than, kind of shrapnel for want of a better word and you know that makes it more indulgent um you know, the adding the cream at the end to stop the cooking so it doesn't keep cooking that, that's a, a good tip and also the, the thickness of the toast that it goes on if it's on a thin piece of of bread it's very different uh uh like a thick piece of pillowy brioche and you know which again adds another layer of of richness, but also kind of lightness because it's aerated. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say, even, I guess, other tips would be in the book. A lot of it is quite fundamental how to season things, how to cook things properly. So if you have a thin piece of fish, you want to season it very delicately because there's a lot of surface area and maybe not much depth to it. And uh, whereas if you're seasoning a steak, that's you know as thick as your thumb you're going to need a lot more salt and it's a lot more robust so it can take a lot more seasoning um similarly cooking meat and fish bringing it to room temperature so for example if if you're cooking a piece of beef fillet to to, uh medium rare uh i'm afraid i'm not very good at at celsius sorry at at fahrenheit in the states but for, for for european uh in Celsius, the a fridge is about three degrees, room temperature is about 20, and for medium rare, you're looking at around 55 degrees. So from taking it, just bringing it out of the fridge to room temperature, that equates to a third of the cooking. About 17 degrees, you've lifted the temperature just by taking it out of the fridge and leaving it at room temperature for an hour. So the um, little things like that, but some people know and some people they are obvious but for other people they're they're not um so yeah you can never overestimate as a you know as a professional that's been doing it for a long long time you know what what's obvious and and what isn't because maybe the, as a professional chef you've got all these gems in your back pocket that that uh are obvious if you know well now you know um i'm looking at these pictures, and, and I, I want to make sure I don't forget to mention the photography in this book. I'm looking mm. at this uh, croque monsieur. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If anybody had ever told me I'd be lusting after a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> <it was> only... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I was going to say, it was, very... um... sorry, go on, Peter. But you're very fond of cheese. Well. Yeah, well, melted cheese is always very photogenic, but I've, I love eating it um, I, I as well. But with the... mention, mention something and get a reaction from you as to whether or not you thought this was overkill. We were at uh, Pied-à-Terre with uh, the Australian be- behind the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you know they had a the cheese had its own refrigerator. <laughs> okay, yeah, I forgot yeah, about yeah. that. Shane, yeah. Shane, Shane Osborne was was not not a little bit neurotic, I guess. No, I was going to say it's uh, we we have it. I mean, the the smell spread so much for the, from the cheese trolley. So yes. No, it is. I think that that is a, a good decision. And we actually on our cheese trolley we have little glass domes, so um, to kind of keep them in check, so to speak. So right, right. it might be that when, when one table is having its cheese course, another table is having a, a very light fish starter or vegetable dish. That um, So we sort of have it that when the trolley is wheeled through the restaurant, it's not kind of emitting uh, the sort of cheese smell as it, as it goes. But moving back to the Croque Monsieur, it, that was a really kind of unloved, dish that was well overdue uh, uh i guess a return into the to the spotlight so we don't really do anything out of the ordinary with it it's just uh think cutting the bread is not too thick um so we have no, no thicker than one centimeter toasting it lightly going cheese then ham then cheese so you've got the, the cheese layer on on both sides and a bit of love in the bechamel, good amount of mustard in there, good amount of Gruyere, and then mace and nutmeg. So often a grilled cheese sandwich or croque monsieur might be done slapdash very quickly, but if it's done well and there's layers of attention to detail and, and care for it, then the end result is is memorable. And it's it's one of our best sellers on, on the breakfast menu at Hyde. We've got a very large breakfast menu, but probably... 25% of all orders uh, are for croque monsieur. Oh, yeah. Now, what, 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 what do you, where do you come down on the good old English breakfast? Yes, yeah, so we, we do a full English as well. Um, oh, you do? Okay. We, yeah, so we, do, we, so we do homemade black pudding. Um, hey, which is there we go. Amazing. Oh, they have that uh, at Le Manoir, too. I remember that yeah, specifically. Yeah. I was in love with that. Well, yeah, well, when you have homemade too. stuff, it's so, so good. Then the, the roast tomatoes, we roast them quite long and slow to concentrate them. Uh, we do a grilled portobello mushroom with a garlic and parsley butter on top. So we serve it uh, with the gills facing up so it, it all the butter soaks in. Um, crispy bacon, uh, so from the belly, smoked. Uh, our sausages are made from middle white pork from our suckling pig supplier. Oh, and wow. then, yeah, cho- choice of eggs from the Cotswolds. Uh, so it's a cackle bean egg, but obviously poached, scrambled, or, or fried. So we, we don't do anything different, but, um, yeah, just have everything as, that's on the plate as the sort of best in class, I guess. Because you don't want to mess around with, with a full English. Um, and also... It's uh, for breakfast. People are less adventurous. I know. I know. I am. I mean, maybe weekend brunch. I'll order something quirky. But in general, for the first meal of the day, you don't really want anything avant-garde. You don't want to be challenged. You want to be comforted. Um, now, one so, of the, yeah. One of the one of the times we were at Le Manoir, uh, Raymond was redoing the breakfast menu altogether. He did okay. redo it. Yeah. Uh-oh. Did we lose well, him? He, 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, it was, I remember I cooked quite a few breakfast services there, and it was, uh, but they, the great thing with, with Raymond Blanc, he, he always keeps evolving, refining, and often simplifying the, uh, the process. Um, obviously, they've got an amazing garden. But the thing I oh, love about that garden, that place, I mean, yeah. that garden, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of restaurant gardens. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, he has that whole mushroom section. Does he still have that? Yeah, no, he's still got that. They've got an orchard. Um, I was gonna say, it's, it's one of the things that when you leave to go back to London, I love London, but a big part of you does not want to leave Le Manoir. The garden, yeah. the food, the rooms. It's like you know you're going to be back to reality with a bump. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, a lo- it's, it's, it's a long way down when you've gone for the weekend there. I know, I know. So, um, now, and you are, you refine um, ingredients, um, but you're, you're very common sense practical about your recipes, which is something else that I admired. Um, oh, good, good. Yeah, I mean, but you are refined. I mean, the, the little teeny things that, I, that I've overlooked in cooking that I realize now okay. are important. Okay, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite OCD in in the kitchen, which <laughs> I think is a good quality for a chef. You need you need to be creative, but a healthy dose of OCD is a good good thing in the kitchen. But um, I was going to say, yeah, there, there might be some some little things that again. I'm, uh, for me, a, a common practice, but but they're not if you're if you're not exposed to to kitchens. Anything that helps the reader um, or makes their life simpler is uh, I think can only be a good thing. I've got two young kids now, and I work, I'm still working long hours at uh-huh. hides on my days off. I don't want huge marathons in my own kitchen at home. I don't want endless shopping lists. I don't want huge amount of washing up at the end of the day so you know home cooking needs to be maximum reward to minimum effort and uh that was always a guiding principle when doing the recipes in this book i mean some need a little bit more work but at the end of the day it was always you needed to be truthful with yourself and say like is that is it worth it is it um yeah if I did that at home, am I going to be cursing, cursing the cookbook at the end of it? And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm re- yeah, really happy with with the end result. Um, and well, you, you say, do say you say that, that actually something that people I've had bad experience myself with that till I learned is they should read the recipe all the way through, which is a given. But also, yeah. they should trust your quantities when when you're um, mm. telling, especially in things that involve salt or quantity of water or anything like that. They need to really follow what you pre- presented as a recipe, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've done the hard work, so uh, hopefully they they don't need to. And I always think it's a little bit a little bit amusing when you get when you get someone think, oh no, that, that can't be right or that, that looks wrong. It's like, yeah, I've been, yeah. been doing this uh, for 20 odd years now. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Um, I mean, that said, there are, when anyone reads a the recipe, there are always, 
you know, perspective is everything. So you could have two, two chefs come out with slightly different results. Uh, even like teaspoons could be slightly different sizes or uh, a vegetable if it says half of fennel, maybe one fennel is bigger, one fennel smaller, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's also it's, it's home cooking. It's not it's not restaurant cooking. So there's, I think there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a little bit of bandwidth here or there, but I always think trust, you know, trust the person who's, who's written the recipe because a lot of work. You do, you, you impart this um, a sense of security in what you're saying is the truth. I mean, you get that across. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I trust you. Yeah, I trust it all. And it's, um, I tried to, uh, aside from the, the trust element or whether it's my credibility or credentials, as a chef, it's also written by someone who, who loves food, you know, and I want to share some great dishes with, with people in the same way that if you see a movie or hear an album that you love, you want, you want to tell people about it and you want them to enjoy it the same way that you did. So it's not just, I'm not just approaching this from a, how can I help the home cook as a professional chef? I, I'm, I see it as on a level as from one home cook to another. These are great. They're not going to take you all the time in the world and you're going to have a, yeah, like a, a great end result for not too much work. I mean, a, a great home recipe is one where you, you almost feel like you've cheated the system a little bit because you've got uh-huh. something amazing without without breaking your back. <laughs> now, a, couple of, a couple of places that we really really loved in London I'm interested in your opinion on them one mm. is Claude, Claude Bossy at Hibiscus yeah, yeah. Well, he worked there <laughs> uh, I did yeah so Claude Claude I snuck that one in there we actually yeah. drove all the, we, we drove all all the way to the original oh, Hibiscus like restaurant yeah, uh, yeah that's when oh, I was Ludlow. looking there so. it, was a lo- it was a long ride but it was well worth it it was yeah, yeah so I, I worked there thing. in 2005, I think, for Claude. And, yeah, he's done brilliantly well. Uh, so it's great seeing him go from the countryside to London and, and do so well here. So he's now at the Michelin building, uh, Bibendum. Right, right. And it's amazing that he's at that building. In South Kensington. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, I was going to say, I think he's gone from uh, strength to strength. I think he's, he's likes what he does and... Got a solid team, so uh, I, I don't. I mean, haven't seen too much of him in the last couple of years, but it's always nice to always nice to bump into him. We've got a similar sense of humour, so it's nice to see him when he's no longer my boss. If that makes sense. Right. Your relationship <laughs> no, changes what, a little what, bit. What about Simon Rogan? Oh yeah. So yeah, see, see Simon a little bit as well. So I had had a brilliant meal at Long Clune in Lake District. It's um, beautiful there, there, isn't it? Yeah, so four or five years ago it was so. I think the sense of journey and occasion, you know, going there really adds to it. So, um, yeah, as I say, I've, I've, I've often bump into Simon's. So we always cook, cook at Ascot. Um, and yeah. maybe, uh, I don't know, we, we, we sometimes crop up at the same uh, event or demo. And no, I really like the guy. But again, similar sense of humour. I think when you've, it's a bit gallows humour, maybe a chef's humour, because you're always a bit tired, you're always a bit understaffed. Uh, and it's just nice sharing the same problems with people and just having a laugh about it. Um, and, yeah, yeah, obviously, 
as I said, hats off to Claude, hats off to Simon. He's built an amazing empire, not just in, in the UK, but I think uh, he's got a couple of places in Asia now. So lovely guy. He deserves every, every success. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now let's talk a little bit um, about your vegetable chapter. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you were right with the times that uh, and you, you mentioned that how um, people are eating more vegetables, not out of a sense of uh, duty, um, but because mm. they really want to, huh? Yeah. I was going to say, um, whenever people ask me, oh, what's going to be the next trend for you know, in cooking yeah. for next year or year after, I would say it's just like people are going to keep eating healthier. So it's just, it's not, you know, what were once kind of, hippie socks and sandals left field ingredients are now utterly mainstream and in coffee shops in sandwich shops you know, quinoa or quinoa you know, seaweeds you know, all the all these things that were once considered very quirky um are not only eaten by everyone but also the sectors of society where you maybe wouldn't imagine. So, you know, men are probably now a bit more, maybe a bit more vain, a bit more health conscious. Um, so, you know, there'll be, I think you know, it's not just people on certain diets that, that are eating it. It's, uh, um, you know, anyone and everyone, as well, obviously the young, uh, younger generations as well, is very normal for them in a way that it maybe wasn't, you know, for me growing up right. seeing these, these things. So, um, I was going to say the whole plant based is just getting you know, bigger and bigger. Um, but I think, I think that I, I think get, get upset about, but saddens me to say is, is the, the substitutes when it says like, uh, I don't know, like some sort of, vegan bacon or something like that or oh, vegan right. mayonnaise or think yeah. call it something different or don't try and recreate um you know i can't imagine in the mediterranean with a, the abundance of amazing fruit and vegetables anyone's trying to you know 3d print bacon out of vegetable matter that <laughs> smokes you know it's you know they're, they're just grilling aubergines and having tomato salads and it feels sad that maybe in the cities there's this sort of desire to eat vegan, but kind of have it. I wouldn't say like dirty or dude food, but there's there's sort of a little. You know, vegan food sometimes feels less natural than it should, um, and there's a lot of processing that goes on to make well, it. That's the part almost, that worries me the most. Is you know, yeah, like, like we, not, we've not tasted the like impossible vegetables. meat, and actually, they they up amp up the seasonings of of that mm. so that it it rivals the real thing. But yeah, what are all the yeah. the processes and what are all the chemicals involved in it? But the yeah, funniest I mean, one, the funniest one, Ollie, is the the impossible meat people have made now an impossible pork. Okay. <laughs> and, and and it's gotten um, sanctioned. I mean, not sanctioned. It's gotten um, what do you call it? Uh, blessed, I guess. Yeah. By being designated kosher. <laughs> oh God! Oh wow! Impossible yeah. pork and impossible yeah. sausage. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, well, it's it's sort of. I was going to say. I mean, 
in some ways I shouldn't criticise because I haven't eaten the stuff, but it just feels uh, <laughs> intrinsically wrong when you think wrong. of yeah. the very simple um, kind of biodependency of, of a farm, you know, chickens laying eggs, cows eating the grass, <laughs> you know, giving milk and the farmer growing with a veg patch. You sort of think, how have we come so far from that? It's, it's frightening. Um, so, yeah, I, sort of, I, I kind of want food to be true to its origins and keep its integrity and think, you know, we're now at a stage where novelty has such a oh, I know, I know, dangerously I know. high currency. Yeah, everyone's wanting you know, anything that's new, and it's so, so much of the stuff that that I see that's new. I do not want to eat. And yeah. uh, um, I mean, that said, there's also amazing farmers going back to quite rudimentary farming methods. That's better for the soil, better for the land, and and there's a, yeah, there's some great stories out there too. But the the range now is yeah. is pretty crazy at each end of the spectrum. Well, you know, I say that your book is very matter-of-fact and practical and common sense, but that's not going to take away from the fact that it's enormously creative. And I'm looking at this, I'm drooling over this recipe for, of all things, grilled shiitake mushrooms with dandelion mm. and pancetta. I mean, I would have yeah. thought... It walks through yeah. that. I mean, I was going to say. I mean, you don't you don't need the the impossible meat when you've got shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> you know, they yeah, they yeah, couldn't be any, any any meatier. So when they're grilled um, like aggressively, as they are in in that recipe, you get an amazing kind of toasted flavour on the outside. And also with with that one, just with the um with the pancetta, it's just wilted, so. It's not kind of crispy bacon. It's it's uh, it's just to soften the fat, and then the bitter leaves. Yeah, the bacon dressing. It's nice, absolutely lush. The textures and and taste. But again, a pretty, hopefully, pretty, pretty simple one to do. Yeah, but you honour each vegetable for what it is, not what it isn't. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and I always think it's just the amount of flavor you can get from something rather than the amount of flavor you can put into something yeah how much can you make a carrot taste like a carrot and then just pair it with a couple of other other things rather than make a carrot you know carrot taste of you know something com- completely different or un uncomplimentary i always think it's thinking why we like something and then showcasing it in a very organic uh manner so it's doing just enough to, to highlight every ingredient and, and to hero it. I always say it's a chef's role to, to showcase the ingredients, not the ingredients' role to showcase the chef. Now, another favorite chapter from this book is the one called Leaves, which is essentially mm. salads, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm like yeah, you. I love. I have probably have salad twice a day. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So think of it. Might be the my dad's half French, half Italian. My mum has always eaten or instilled in us to eat 
very healthily. So, uh, yeah, when I was growing up, there was always a salad at least once a day. And it felt like it's something that I just crave that acidity, that that crunch. I love a good salad. And I remember uh, um, a friend once saying it's a bit like, going and seeing a load of different fairy lights in the, in the forest. Like you have all these little pops and sparks, so whether it's a toasted nut or a herb or a grapefruit segment or whatever it may be, you, when you have it, it should really pop in your in your mouth. So, um, yeah, I think people, you know, a salad or a, can sound a bit underwhelming, or, but the reality of it they can they can be really dynamic and also very easy and you can make them very dramatic with a big platter oh here's a dramatic one your salad of rocket courgette mint pistachio and feta i mean it's a work of art i'm looking at it yeah also that that only took me a couple of minutes uh to place up it's uh really and yeah when you look at the ingredients there's not not a great deal there but um dressed raw courgettes um, are utterly delicious people it's funny so a lot of people you know say they don't like courgettes but um yeah and they're shaved and and dressed uh yeah i was gonna say it's just a, a little tangle um it's almost sort of pasta like when when you eat it so uh yeah i lo- love that one when you also you give um, space in this book to shellfish and fish, and, mm. um, I, and I was interested in where you got your shellfish because when we're in England, we usually visit um, uh, Peter's family. Um, half of them are in uh, Yorkshire, and the other half in Cornwall. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, Cornwall is known for its shellfish. But yeah, you so list we, different places for oysters. I was interested in that. Yeah, so we have um, the the supplier we use. We use well. There's a few different suppliers because you need you need backup in case in case there's a shortage from one of them. But the first supplier that I use, I've been using for about 20 years now. So when I was a young chef at Le Manoir, I used to order from him when he was uh-huh. working for a different company. So yeah, I think loyalty goes a long way with uh, uh, with fish supplies because you, you want to get the best catch and you do Not that sure. by yeah, by by having a, a good relationship with them. So uh, they buy strictly day boat fish. Uh, so it gets an amazing place, turbot, monkfish from there. Then closer to London probably by about an hour's drive. Again, on the south coast, you've got uh, Brixham in uh, in Devon to get amazing crabs, uh, lobsters from there too. Um, and then from Scotland, you get some great monkfish. There's uh, amazing halibut farm. There's uh, diver caught scallops from, from Orkney. Uh, Morecambe Bay shrimps. So all you know, all around the the UK really is squid from from Cornwall. Um, but you know, there's a difference. Um, like in in the the smoked fish, for example, 
that we get in, in England is so different from smoked fish in the U.S. Here it's really overdone, salty. You know, it's, oh, okay, it's, yeah. But, 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 yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess one of the, a lot of the sensitivity would come maybe from smoking salmon. It's a lot of the smokehouses are by rivers. Um, just from tradition, that's where they were first uh, uh, kind of established, I guess, to be near the salmon, which is the primary thing that they smoked. And now they do, obviously, you get this amazing smoked halibut, um, obviously kippers, uh, mackerel, herring, but also they've now, we use a lot of smoked butter, actually, which is an amazing ingredient too. What kind? Um, so just salted butter. Uh, so we, we put that... Yeah, you in you a, said you only use it occasionally, though, right? Yeah, so we use it at, um, so for the smoked butter. It's great in a caramel sauce. It just turns it from, transforms it from something maybe childish or one-dimensional into something we've grown up uh, with eggs or wild mushrooms. It just brings that depth of flavor and savory edge and then there's this instant homeliness the smoked butter because obviously you've got smoke and you've got fat content and both of those things have a sense of intrinsic comfort to them so uh interestingly enough we're we're getting trout from the chalk streams of hampshire right now oh well it's, yeah, really, they, it's really a wonderful product. Yeah, no, I love um as well. Like if you have like that, those hot smoked oily fish are amazing. You know, especially if they're like still warm or just warmed a little bit, or smoked eel as well. Um, just the warming it up, just to soften the fat content, is uh, yeah, a simple thing, but so delicious. Well, where are people going to find you when they when they need a good meal, Ollie? So I'm at Hyde Restaurant, which is on Piccadilly in Mayfair, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here most <laughs> most days in in one of the kitchens we have. So Hyde, uh, so that's the ground floor restaurant. We do breakfast, lunch, dinner with an à la carte menu, and then we have a bar at Hyde that's maybe a little bit more ambitious or you know, some Michelin inclinations and we do a five or seven course menu and set lunch. Uh, so there's a little bit, I think of it like a, like a Kaiseki tasting menu just based on products and uh, kind of finesse. So yeah, that, that's, that's where I am when I'm not writing cookbooks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for... Yeah, listeners, again, it's uh, essential is the name of the book, and the chef is Ollie Dabas, and uh, and it, it's you're going to use this. It's not uh, something that's very chefy. It's something that you're going to use at home, and uh, and it's going to elevate your cooking because it is elevated, even though it's home cooking. Well, Ollie, I love the book. Love talking to you, and uh, uh, hopefully well, thank next you so time. Much for, uh your time and, and and yeah clearly the time you spent reading the book I genuinely appreciate it oh hey I love this book <laughs> <laughs> win 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 then. great thank you again your pleasure all the best take care
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.